uh, Reader's Digest several years ago listed famous last words uh, of people. Some of them were famous people. Some of them were just, the last words were just kind of stunning. A man named Douglas Fairbanks Sr., his final words were, I've never felt better. Hmm. Uh, this was a French uh, grammarian, a grammarian, a grammar expert. I'm about to die or I'm going to die. Either expression is correct. <laughs> I can hear my mother saying that to me. <laughs> you had to shake your, you know, because that, anyway. James Rogers was a murderer. He was convicted of murder, and he was fixing, he was facing the firing squad. He was going to be killed by a firing squad. They said, what's your final request? He laughed and said, a bulletproof vest. Don't you love that? <laughs> We're in Malachi chapter 4 tonight, and we are finishing the book of Malachi. We've been in this since the end of July, uh, talking about timeless truths. In other words, these are old, but they're timeless, and I think tonight we will see that they absolutely are timeless These are the final words of Malachi chapter 4. If you have a Bible, if you don't, they'll be on the screens. But they're also, ironically, the final words of what? Of the Old Testament. So they are significant, they're powerful, they're uncomfortable, and they're good. Depending on where you are with Christ, these are either not going to be good tonight or these are going to be real good. But the great news, here's always the great news. However you came in here in relation to Jesus, you can leave in a great spot with Jesus tonight, if you just will. Let's begin with this. Number one, God and his team win in the end big time. Isn't that great? God and his team, and if you're not on his team, you can be on his team. If you're on his team, find encouragement tonight that we can win big in the end with God. Now, this is just an interesting little side note, but in some Hebrew Bibles, the, uh, there's not a chapter 4. Chapter 3 uh, is just continued in these verses because they really are very similar to uh, the, the previous chapter, but it is in, in our English Bibles, it is chapter 4 for a reason, and I think correctly, but it does follow suit with some things we looked at several weeks ago. Look in verse 1. The the Lord of heaven's armies. Boy, that's a title, isn't it? The Lord of the armies of heaven says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace on that day. The arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. The word day in your Bible literally can mean a 24-hour period, or it it can mean a a space or a period of time. And I think understanding that definition will help us tonight. A judgment literally means a separation. A judgment can be a great thing and a bad thing, can't it? You can have a good judgment. You can have a really bad judgment. I think you understand this. Verse 5, it says, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful The great, the magnificent, the exceedingly either wonderful or dreadful, which is really bad, something you should anticipate with harm and fear, day of the Lord arises. Now, it's interesting they talk about Elijah here, and this is very significant. Elijah, in a lot of scholars' minds, is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Remember, Elijah didn't die. Do you remember what happened to him? Him Him and Elisha are walking along in a chariot, Chariots of fire come in angels and pick him up and take him to heaven. Isn't that a way to go? 
What happened to Grandma? Well, you won't believe it. We were out squirrel hunting, and these chariots, no, I don't believe it. I think you and Grandma were drinking is what I think. That, that story really happened is what we're told uh, in, in the Bible. And who is the Elijah to come? Well, there's a very obvious and clear answer in the New Testament, and then it may get a little fuzzy later on. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 through 14, these are on the screens, I think. May, they may not be. Are they on the screen behind me? Yes. I tell you the truth of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Aren't you proud it didn't say John the Methodist there, John the Baptist? Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he is the Elijah, the one the prophets said would to come. We're going to go to Matthew 17. Jesus reiterates this point. Then his disciples ask him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything right, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him in the same way they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. So Jesus was saying, listen, I'm the Messiah, and the John the Baptist, the, the one to come in the Spirit and the power of John the Baptist was Elijah. So one of the things when it talks about the day of the Lord here, it's talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ, which was going to turn everything upside down, really bad for some, really bad for others. But I want to tell you, I think this passage, these six verses, they're a lot deeper and maybe a little more complex than just meets the eye. I think this is also talking about the second coming of Christ. In Revelation chapter 11, if you're taking notes, we're not going to have it on the screen, but it talks about two great witnesses testifying for many, many days. Some believe that will be Moses and Elijah before the second coming of Christ. So I think tonight when we talk about the great day of the Lord here, we're talking about the coming of Christ originally, which John the Baptist foretold, and we're also talking about the second coming. Now, I, th I think this is important to understand. We're going to talk about judgment. We're going to talk about rewards. We're going to talk about meeting God. We're going to talk about things going really bad and are really good in just a moment. That happens here on this earth to some extent, doesn't it? It does. I promise you, one minute after everyone in this room, we've died, there's going to be some judgment going on, good or bad, before God. And at the second coming, I believe there's going to be a final judgment too. So there's not, it's not, we're, we're not talking about all different things. They, they are together, they are separate. So when we talk about these tonight, understand those in the, that order. But let's talk about this first, the negative. It's going to go very bad for people not in Christ. A person who's not in Christ, it's not going to go well in the end. Again, in verse 1, the day of judgment separation is coming, burning like a furnace, the heat of a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked, those who are openly, clearly defiant to God, will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and everything. How many of you would agree that is not good, what that's saying there? That is not good. 
I, I live out kind of in the country, and we have trees, and when you have trees, you got branches on the ground a lot, don't you? I pick up and get rid of branches a lot. If you start having to pick up and get rid of roots, you're getting rid of trees, aren't you, at that point? So when the Bible here talks about that not only the branches will be destroyed, but the roots will be destroyed, here's what he's saying. Ultimately, someday, the wicked, the people who don't have Christ and who defy Christ, they, listen, he's not... He's not saying this in a positive way. He's just telling the truth. Someday they're going to be utterly destroyed is what he says. Is that you and me this evening? So it'd be a church person just as well as it can be someone we might consider a pagan. This is someone without Christ, without God, utterly destroyed, completely gone, totally removed, memory gone. We wonder sometimes, where's the justice of God? Why do the bad people seem to do so well and the good people seem to get punished? Why does the crooked politician succeed uh, in America and around the world? And good people and justice it seems to get perverted. God's saying here, someday it's going to be all straightened out. And the people who laugh now at sin and waller in it, someday it's coming for them. Don't let that person be you. Now, here's the positive of this, and boy, it's positive. It's going to go very well for those who belong to Christ. Parting words of the Old Testament. Those who belong to God, it's going to go very well for them. Verse 2, but for you who fear my name, who have reverence and respect for my name, and for the Hebrew Jewish person, the, 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 using the idea of a name meant more than the title. You're talking about their character or their personhood. So if I said the name of Andy Johnson in Hebrew, I'm talking about the person, Andy Johnson. The name of God is to fear and respect and submit and follow God. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The son of righteousness. Boy, that's a, a beautiful picture there, isn't it? Listen, he's talking about a new day. And when a new day begins, the sun comes up. Can you imagine in Houston a week or two ago, well, the first time they saw that sun coming up, how beautiful that was? And the Bible tells us, listen, someday the Lord Jesus, when he was born 2,000 years ago and he returns again, it's going to be a new day. The son of righteousness. The Bible talks about God the Father being like the sun. It talks about Jesus Christ being the light of the world. And it's talking about here Jesus and our Messiah. And it talks about his wings and his wings will bring healing. And the idea of wings are power and beauty and protection. And I love what Jesus is saying to us here. When he came originally, when you die in Christ, when he comes again, those who belong to Jesus, brother, it's victory. It's sad at times now. It's hard at times now. Following the ways of the world is always a lot easier than following the ways of Jesus. And you wonder why the bad guys win and we try to do what's right and we don't have any money and we struggle and we suffer. But God says, in the end, the good guys are going to win. And verse 2, he ends it. He says, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves, Led out to the pasture. How many of you have been around cows much in your life? Man, you, you, if you've been around cows, calves are fun, aren't they? 
They have life. They have energy. And I've seen that a thousand times. And what God's saying, you know, someday, I I believe it's going to be the second we walk into heaven. But if we live enough with Christ in us and his joy in us now, we might run a little more like calves today. But someday, when we wake up in heaven, we're going to be running around like kids again. Isn't that going to be great? We're going to have hair and teeth and health. It's going to be awesome, isn't it? And you're going to be able to eat whatever you want and be skinny. That's going to be part of hell. They're going to be eating cabbage and getting fat forever. We'll be eating ice cream and being skinny. It's going to be wonderful is what God's saying. You're saying, Pastor, you're being frivolous. Listen, I'm telling you, heaven's going to be so much better than we can ever imagine. A lot of church people aren't going to be happy there because you just can't be mad. Come on. Verse 3, on that day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, God's not saying here. I know some Christians are thinking, we'll get to look down at them in hell and go, na, 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 na. No, that's not what he's saying. Hot down there? No, that's not what he's saying. I think he's just saying, look, man, we're going to win when you follow Christ. We're going to be the one standing at the end of the game holding the trophy. Not because we're better than anybody else, but we follow the winner in Jesus Christ. And other people may be holding the trophy right now and going the easy route and the party route and the fun route, and we're suffering and we're trying to be disciplined and do what's right. But God says, you're going to be holding the trophy and winning in the end. That's great, isn't it? That's awesome. Don't you lose hope. You hang on to that. You live in the fear that I better be right with God because it's not going to go well for those who are not. But if I'm right with God, in the end, it's going to be awesome, awesome. So here's the second big thought this evening. What do we do until then? What do we do until then? My, my mom and dad are in heaven. Well, you have a lot of family members and friends in heaven. We grieve them not being here with us. But I want to tell you, they're running around like teenagers right now. But what do we do until that day comes? God's left you and me here for a reason. I think, one, you hold on to the truth that God's team wins in the end. It absolutely does. But let me give you three things the Scriptures tell us to do until then. Here's the first one. Make sure Jesus has changed your heart. Make sure you do belong to Christ. Now, folks, I know it's Wednesday night, and and we preach primarily to the believer on Wednesday night, but some of you need to really do some examination. Do do you really belong to Christ? Verse 5, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great, the magnificent, the exceedingly good or bad, dreadful, A day that people ought to be afraid of with emotional and intellectual anticipation of harm. The first and the second coming of Christ, this wonderful, this dreadful day. I'm sending Elijah to warn you. Elijah came before Jesus Christ, laying it out, telling him to repent, turn to God. I don't understand it, but I believe before the second coming, that certainly may be a supernatural figure comes and does the same thing. But every preacher that preaches the gospel to you is doing it. 
every Bible study teacher who does it, every parent who loves you or every friend who loves you is telling you, you need to make sure you belong to God. Look in verse six. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. We'll look at the last part of that ugly little verse. That last part is ugly in just a moment. See, the goal of a pastor, the goal of a parent, the goal of a friend who loves people is to tell them you gotta have a changed heart to be in Christ. You're not on God's team because you're religious or you're Baptist or you're Methodist because your mom or dad are good people or your grandparents are good people. The only reason you'll be in Christ is if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and he's changed you. Don't you love that phrase? He turns the heart of the father towards the kids and the kids to the, the father. In other words, the most fundamental relationships, when you're saved, you're changed. It's not on the screens, but if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is one of the greatest verses about whether you're saved tonight. If any man in Christ, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has become. Let me ask you the honest question tonight. Are your desires different than people that don't know Jesus? You're not perfect, but is the direction of your life different? Are your passions different? You're going to sin, but do you waller in it? And does it not bother you at all? Then Christ has not changed your heart. When Christ changes hearts, you are changed in every relationship with your life. Just a little bit on the dad and the son here. I, I read this about Elton John. You know who Elton John is? Elton John's a famous Singer has been, I mean, I was a little bitty kid, Elton John. He's been famous for a long, long time. Rolling Stone Magazine last year, he talked about his relationship with his dad. He said, I grew up in an era and with a father who didn't touch you, who didn't hug you, who didn't show affection, who never told me he loved me. The only times he touched me is when he was beating me. Elton John, his dad died like in 1997, and Elton John was famous in the early 1970s. He said, my dad never came to see me play live. Wow. He said, I've told my mother how it's messed up my life, and she said, oh, get over it. That's just the way things are. Shouldn't bother you anymore. He says, it bothers me every day of my life. Wonder what would have been different if Elton's dad would have been a Christian. I saw an article from a lady named Sally Kempton in the Yoga Journal, and I'm not anti-yoga. I just can't do the poses, so that kind of bothers me. I'm anti-yoga pants, though, amen? (laughs) Cotton sweatpants, baggy, that needs to be yoga pants, amen? Y'all help me, men, help me. See if you can differentiate what I'm going to say. Some people don't need to wear them, and some people don't need to wear them. You follow me? Okay. Burn the yoga pants, okay? But this lady is a leader in in, uh, the yoga movement, and she said, listen, we don't need authoritative religion. We don't need talk of sin and wrong and judgment. In fact, what people need to do is call on Dorga, the Hindu goddess of war, to enlighten them. In the Bible, in the New Testament, there's a Greek word for that, and it's baloney, right? 
Man, love yoga, but follow Jesus Christ. Dorga is not going to change your heart. Jesus will change your heart. He will change your life. Some of you have not had that happen. And what a terrible thing to say, I've sat in church my whole life and die and go to hell someday. To be ready for eternity, you need to let Jesus Christ do a work in your heart. I pray he has. I pray he will before you leave here. And when he does, let me give you the second thing. Cling to and trust Christ in his word. You make sure you belong to him. Make sure Christ is in your heart. You go, life is hard. It beats me up. It's tough. I don't understand it. You are very normal. Make sure Christ is in your heart. And you cling to him and you cling to his word. Verse 4, remember to obey the law of Moses. My servant, all the decrees and regulations I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. He's telling these Old Testament Jews before Jesus came, and he's telling them, listen, you remember God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, and all the laws, the, the, the law of Moses are the first five books of the, the Old Testament. And how that translates to you and me, we got the whole Bible. Isn't that great? I mean, we, we, got, a lot of, <laughs> we got a lot of good reading material. How much is your nose in your Bible? Now, I, I, I read this today, and I want to do a little more research on it because it sounded incredible, but it said the average person sitting at a desk checks their email 30 times an hour. Whew. Okay, that may not be true, but I bet you do 10 times an hour. And I wondered when I saw that, how, much, how many times were we looking at our Bible a day? <laughs> Dust that old thing off and start reading it. Here's what God says. Listen, what, what do we need to do? We need to have our nose in the Bible. You've got, you've got the, the word of God to direct and guide and help you in your life. But you've got to read it. You've got to take it in. You need to do what you're doing tonight. You need to hear it as much as you can. Jesus says, what we do in the meantime before our death or before the second coming, make sure you belong to Christ and you cling to his word. And let me give you this last thing here. Take God's word seriously. That, that just sums up everything we're talking about tonight. Take God's word seriously. Don't, don't raise your hands. Do you take God's word seriously? Look in verse 6. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Look at this last part. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Last words of the Old Testament. Gee, God, you could have been nicer. <laughs> this is true, and it's really kind of funny. In the, in the Middle Ages, there were some Bible scholars that were, this is so goofy, they they actually reversed verse 5 and 6 in some of the Bibles they were copying because they thought it ended too negative. <laughs> Let the Bible end how God intended for it to end, right? Wouldn't that be the best thing? If you're taking notes, this is very interesting. Four times the word curse is used in this, this little four-chapter book. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. But each time it's used there, it's a different Hebrew word than the word that's used here. The, the other times the word curse means to disapprove or to punish or to move away from. Here the word curse is, is literally the idea of the ban. Any of you know, B-A-N, any of you know what the ban was in the Hebrew? It was total destruction. 
It was utter destruction. When, when God was dealing with a people that would not repent and not would turn to him, and he would send his people in, and God says they are under the ban, what that meant was is they were to be wiped out completely. Remember when the Jewish people went into Jericho? God placed them under the ban. Everybody and everything except Rahab and her family were to die. Now, I want you to get a hold of what God's saying here. God's saying, you don't turn to Christ. You don't follow Christ. Eventually, everything about us will be gone, utterly and totally. You go, man, pastor, that's rough. And I, I know, I mean, I, I feel it. People don't want to hear hard truth anymore. But if you love people, don't you warn them? I read the story of an evangelist named Rico Tice. Isn't that a great name for evangelist? He was in Australia visiting a friend. And Australia has got to be a great place, but it's, got, it's surrounded by great white sharks, the deadliest snakes and spiders in the world. I'd like to fly over it. Rico and his friend go out to the beach. Well, they go out to the beach, and unlike Lake Darbone or Claiborne, there are signs that say, danger sharks. Like, you know, when you go to the beaches down here in Florabama, they'll put up a yellow flag if the waves are high. They put up flags when the great whites are circling. So Rico said, I see the sign, but I'm going in. And his friend said, you're going to go swimming? He goes, yeah, yeah, I, I hear it, but I'm going in anyway. His friend said, let me just stop you real quick. He said, you're a big boy. You can do, I cannot stop you from doing this. But in recent years, 200 Australians have been eaten to their death by great white sharks. They put that warning sign up there. Listen, not to ruin your fun, not to keep you from expressing yourself in the water. They put that sign up there so you will be able to swim again another day. Rico Go swim if you want to, but that warning is out of love, not out of trying to ruin your life. Rico said, I chose not to swim. <laughs> See, God's saying here, this is just the truth. It's just the truth. Don't follow him. Don't come to him. And in the end, it's utter destruction and ruin. Or come to him and find the life you want here and find the life you can't imagine in eternity. Two last final words of famous people. Voltaire, the philosopher, his last words were, I'm abandoned by God and man, and now I shall go to hell. D.L. Moody, who was a great preacher in the 1800s, his last words as he looked up to the sky, he said, earth is receding and heaven is approaching. This is my crowning day. You choose. Let's pray. going to give you an option or two in just a moment but I pray you'll choose life 
We love you, Jesus. Thank you for making everything possible for us. In your name we pray, amen. Boy, if you don't have Christ in your life, come tonight and give your life to him. Come tonight and, and cross that line with him. You'd like to join our church? We would love for you to. You can do it after church. You can come in just a moment when we stand. We are a church that's going to try to tell you the truth in love because we love you. You're a Christian tonight. Maybe you are not where you need to be with God. Get things right with God. Live under him for peace, for power, for joy. Get right with God tonight. And some of you Christians, what you need to do tonight, man, you just hang on to the hope that it's going to be great in the end. God's not going to leave you. Cling to him and his word. And I promise you, you'll, we'll find each other in a thousand years and we'll high five and say, it's all true. Let's stand. You respond as God leads you.